0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lay of the Land podcast. Today, we are going to do something a little different than we normally do on the show. Over the years, we have published hundreds of episodes of this podcast, and I often think back on many of these conversations for inspiration, for energy, for wisdom, and for their timeless ideas on entrepreneurship. And so, from time to time, we're going to revisit some of these conversations. For our longtime listeners, these are a chance to rediscover stories that are just as relevant, as interesting, and as entertaining as they were when they first aired. And for Lay of the Land's many and growing number of newer listeners, these are a chance to enjoy these stories for the first time. The episode we have for you today is a really fun one. Originally published as episode 23 back in May of 2021, this is a conversation I had with Justin McLaughlin about founding and building Air CFO, which today is a supporter and sponsor of the Lay of the Land podcast. Since airing, Air CFO has grown and continued on the journey Justin outlines in this episode to take care of growing companies back offices from finance, accounting, tax and HR support so that they can focus on growing from startups to scale-ups. So without further ado, here's our conversation with Justin McLaughlin of Air CFO. I hope you enjoy this blast from the podcasting past. Let's dive in after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by Ninety. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together, and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation, or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects, or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes.
1: the experience of the clients is only as good as the people delivering the work, delivering the service. So it's not like I came up with this idea, but you know, it's like, take care of your people first and they'll take care of your clients. Like that's right. It's it's true. I mean, (laughs) you know, I don't jump into a client's payroll system or QuickBooks and answer their questions anymore. I mean, it's, it's out of my hands. It's in the hands of our employees. So you know, our goal is, is you know, and we, have, we have plenty of work to do. Our goal is to really just kind of lean into this concept of just continuing to take care of our employees and just create a workplace that that's where they want to be. That's where they, that's why they're, you know,
0: they're, they're passionate to come to work every day. Let's discover the Cleveland entrepreneurial ecosystem. We are telling the stories of its entrepreneurs and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland. I'm your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today we are exploring a company helping other people build their own companies. Justin McLaughlin is a Midwesterner who fell in love with the tech startup scene and turned entrepreneur when he realized that when other people start their own startups, that payroll, back office management, account reconciliation, taxes, and general accounting is not typically what they had in mind. So Justin started Air CFO to deliver those same entrepreneurs and other growing companies peace of mind by taking ownership of these accounting responsibilities, maintaining their books so they can focus on maintaining their business. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation from building a bootstrapped company to scaling a professional services organization, the future of work. The importance of taking care of your own employees, and of course, finance and accounting. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you all will as well. So, I'd love to start with your story of entrepreneurship, if you will. You know, how it is that you came to align yourself with the, the world of startups and, and what led you ultimately to start Air CFO. Yeah, for me, it
1: started back around 2011, so about 10 years ago, and I was already about five years into a career in a much larger company. I was just kind of getting bored, honestly, in corporate America, <laughs> trying to trying to climb yeah. climb the, the ladder, and had a, a fellow Clevelander that started a company that he had already taken out west to San Francisco, and he invited me to to join. You know, as Maybe employee number fifteen, I think, and just be the first kind of biz ops, business operations person. And once I got out there and just kind of left behind corporate America, I just absolutely fell in love with the the startup ecosystem and just everything it had to offer—from you know the fast pace to the idea of, of. you know, causing disruption in in old legacy (laughs) companies and just never looked back since, you know, it's been 10 years and never looked back. So I spent a couple of years there and decided after a couple of years, I I have family back here in Ohio. So I decided after a couple of years to kind of come back home, you know, I have a young family as well. And when I was leaving, essentially, the, the company had grown that point to probably about 40 or 50 employees. And we had a small biz ops team yeah. And every, everything that I was doing got, you know, absorbed by other people on the team, but nobody wanted to do accounting or taxes <laughs> or payroll. So we just kind of struck a deal that I could come back, you know, this is 2013 or so. So this is before remote work was very popular, but we kind of struck a deal to just have me work uh, essentially like part time as a contractor doing kind of the back office Mm -hmm. Things that are accounting, bookkeeping, payroll, taxes, and that's that's really where the idea came from. That's that's where the idea was born.
0: Yeah, no, that it resonates a lot uh, because a lot a lot of what I do at my company is figuring out ways to make the experience of doing things that are mandatory but that no one actually enjoys (laughs) doing like more enjoyable and easier to do. So, I think uh, a lot about how to like make those undesirable experiences more desirable and and that ability to Take the unwanted required responsibility off someone else's plate is a powerful ability. It is. Yeah. So, okay. So you kind of stumble into this challenge. You know, no one likes to do accounting. <laughs> yeah. And those responsibilities kind of fall on your plate. At, at what point do you come to the realization that there's a company in, in this idea?
1: Yeah. You know, when I, when I, took on that challenge. I really came back to Ohio, I think Cleveland, thinking like, okay, like I'm gonna take a little bit of time off and then figure out what my next step is. Yeah, and I just you know there there was essentially three co-founders at that company, and they each had just incredible networks of other entrepreneurs and other founders out West. And essentially one by one, each one of the founders of the of of the company, it's called apartment list, by the way. Each one of the, the co-founders of apartment list just kind of connected me into some of the other founders that were facing the same issue, which is, you know, hey, we're uh, we're an early stage company. We have, you know, we've received outside investment. We have to act like a real grown-up company and do things <laughs> like payroll and taxes, but we know that we're just too early too small to justify hiring full-time employees to do this. And like we said before, you know, I don't want to figure it out. I don't I don't want to figure out how to, you know, fill out a tax return, set up a payroll system, learn how to use QuickBooks. So slowly but surely through I would say, you know, the through 2014, you know, I, I really got started in the beginning of 2014. And then by the end of 2014, I probably had a dozen or so of these companies that were in that similar sense. And yeah, I mean, that the idea just kind of fell in, my, fell in my lap. I mean, there was, there was no getting away from it. And it just made a lot of sense once I got more involved and realized that I could honestly just make a living doing this. Um, it became pretty clear that I enjoyed the freedom of working for myself and helping just some really interesting companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So as the, as your own kind of personal of business grew and you're you're thinking about you know sustaining yourself through through this company at what point do you realize all right maybe I need to hire some people and and make a company of of what I'm doing myself
1: yeah i made it i made it the first year and a half as a solo consultant and then so it, it was mid 2015 when i made my first hire Really what I was looking for then was, you know, if you think about what we do, which is accounting and finance and tax. I have a pretty strong background in in accounting, kind of what a controller does, but I was not great with some of what a a CFO would do. CFO is kind of more of a, a strategic forward looking person that might have, you know, studied finance in college as opposed to what right, I studied right. accounting. So I made my first hire in twenty fifteen, which was that other half being the, the finance side of what we did. So, yeah, that was that was the first hire, and then ever since then, we've been hiring different consultants from accounting, finance, tax world. That um, you know, we're, we're piecing together a team that kind of focuses on
0: those those three main areas. So, so how how would you describe AirCFO today as a company? What what are the services that you're offering, and what does the the company look like?
1: Yeah, I mean, in the, in the simplest terms, we are a consulting company to early stage startups that are looking for a partner as it pertains to what some people might call like some of the back office operations of a startup. So, again, it's bookkeeping and accounting, taxes. We're also getting into what we call people advisory, which has to do with things like HR, payroll, benefits. And then we also layer in kind of that more strategic, fractional CFO service. So, you know, that's what it is in its simplest terms. You know, our vision as a company is to become just the best in class advisor to early stage startups and startup founders and become a premier workplace for startup minded financial professionals.
0: Yeah. So, unlike your, a lot of your clients, though, who have this kind of venture backing, they've they've taken outside capital. You know, you you thought about and and went about growing Air CFO in a in a very different way. And I'd love to get your perspective just on you know building a, a bootstrapped company and why you, why you did that. Um, if you think about outside capital and you know working with all these companies that take in outside capital, just kind of the the pros and cons of, of both kind of approaches from from your perspective.
1: Yeah, I I think when I got started. I was pretty naive and certainly it was my first go around. And I think that the general advice that I was hearing in the beginning was, oh, you're a services company, you know, investors aren't going to be interested in, in you, a, a VC or an angel investor is not really going to be interested in a services-based company. So I almost did it because I thought that was the only way to do it, right? Right. Just be bootstrapped and 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 whatnot. And you know, I think looking back, it was definitely the right decision for me. Relatively speaking, I'm pretty conservative. And in my opinion, there's something just sensible about starting a, a business that's going to be profitable or at least revenue, generating revenue from, you know, essentially day one, which is what we were. So it it kind of lined up with my nature of, of being simple and sustainable and just sensible from that approach but you know you're absolutely right i mean there's there's pros and cons i mean pros are sustainability that helps to recruit other people that want to join a startup but don't want to be worried that it's going to run out of money in six months or 12 months so you know that's a huge pro but yeah certainly on the the other side of the, the coin you know the rocket ship growth the hockey stick growth is a little harder to accomplish when we have such limited resources like we do. You know, there's certain things I want to do like today that I know realistically because of limited resources, we're not going to be able to get to until 2022, for example, uh, you know, for next year. So there, there's there's pros and cons, but for me, it definitely
0: lines up with kind of uh, my, my nature. That makes a lot of sense. I, I had a, a friend who worked for a company called Atrium, yeah. which was in my mind, kind of building the air CFO equivalent, but for l- lawyers and, and legal advice for startups, you know, they, they have since kind of folded, um, but they took in a lot of venture capital up front. And I think the takeaway of, of their founder was to essentially not build a services company because it's, it's harder to manage everyone involved. The, there's less of like the technological efficiencies that you realize with yeah. software and, and some of the the reward isn't there, but I think your perspective just like makes a lot of sense. Maybe there's like different goals and objectives from what's what's driving you know the the business ultimately.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, looking back, you know, five years or so, there was several players even in our space that took on outside funding, took on venture capital, and you know, when when you when you do that, when you when you sign up to take on venture capital, you're essentially signing up to you have to go after that, that, that growth. You have to sign yeah. up for eventually exiting your company. And, you know, it can't be at the valuation multiple of a of a of a professional services company. It's got to be at the valuation multiple of a SaaS company. So you're kind of forcing, you know, you're you're forcing your hand a little bit when you sign up for that. And I mean, listen, I mean, there's 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 companies, you know, for every atrium out there, there's another company in our space called Pilot, which Just raised a hundred million dollars this year at a over a billion dollar valuation, and they got started after we got started. So it it can be done. It certainly can be done, but there's different ways to go about it for sure.
0: Yeah, how do you think about competition and and differentiation in the market?
1: I think about it every day. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think in in the early days, it was I was really focused on our competition and really focused on just small little things I could do to try to differentiate. You know, when we first started, for example, you know, we were set on what we call like flat fee pricing, right? Like right out of the gate, like telling a client from day one, like you're gonna pay exactly this much. So I've thought about it since day one. I mean, you know, currently where we stand, you know, what differentiates CFO? there's a couple of things. We stay really focused on our vertical. We stay really focused on our niche. Mm-hmm. We've been after you know we've been after it now for seven years, and we've gotten a lot of subject matter expertise in kind of our sandbox, so to speak. That is is very helpful for the clients we help. We're a scalable solution, so you know we work with pre-seed companies, two people, and a and a you know. You know, just an idea all the way up through exit, and um, the other the other thing that differentiates us is we're a, we take a small team approach, so we don't just have one person that's trying to be everything from your CFO to your accountant to your bookkeeper. We kind of um, you know present a, a small team to clients. So, you know that that's what how I think about it from a kind of a product standpoint or a services standpoint. The other things that I think a lot about are how are we creating a differentiated workplace there's just mm-hmm. so much comp- competition in our space for talent i mean we're 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 literally competing against the behemoths that are like the the giant consulting companies and the you know the big four public accounting companies but you know there wasn't a lot of barriers to entry when i got started in this space and yeah. there's not there's not a lot of barrier barriers to entry today so there's so many more kind of, of these like fractional accounting and fractional CFO firms popping up all the time. So it's something that we put a, a ton of effort and are very deliberate about when we try to build our, our culture, build kind of the employee experience at our CFO, just to make sure that we can A, retain, I'm sorry, A, attract talent and B, retain it.
0: Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. But what are are some of those things that that you've done?
1: Well, from going back 2 years almost 2 years now we hired a experienced people operations manager little little story here i mean you know roughly 2 years ago this is before the pandemic right that we decided to go remote as a company we were having a tough time finding all the talent we needed in just cleveland and mm-hmm. you know so we decided to go remote and just kind of you know didn't really think through all of the different Aspects around building a, a remote company, building a remote culture where everything's you know done via you know video conferencing and whatnot. So we we were very fortunate early on to kind of listen to the feedbacks from some of our remote employees that we needed to step up, we needed to do to do more, to be deliberate about just creating a good employee experience. So we hired. Uh, her name's Sky. We hired Sky from she's down in Austin, Texas, and she came on to be kind of our first head of people. And yeah. you know, through some of the some of the some of the initiatives over the last it's, it's been over a year and a half now that she's been putting in place everything from you know the, the the very beginning of the employee life cycle when we're talking about recruiting and interviewing through onboarding through you know performance reviews. I mean, literally all the way up through offboarding. And kind of separating from employees, she's just taken, you know, a, a fine-tooth comb to everything that we were doing, and really put more of a like a just a a real lens to it, and, and and tried to find out kind of what are our opportunities for improvement. And it's a constant thing we work on, right? From you know, just from from rolling out more benefits to creating better ways to communicate with one another through Slack and. and zoom and email and just kind of writing a lot of standing standard procedures for how to kind of best work work with each other if that makes sense
0: yeah totally there, there's some like real prescience in there some foresight <laughs> i imagine with what, what ultimately happened with the pandemic is like most companies transition to remote was this unnatural forced consequence that was not yeah. you know of, of any intention but i imagine coming into it with an intention to that's the direction that you wanted to take the company. I imagine that is kind of a real differentiator over the last year and change,
1: yeah, you're absolutely right. It's um you know it's it definitely a little bit of luck there. I couldn't imagine at this point going back <laughs> to yeah. trying trying to trying to build a company um, and not having it be remote. There's been so many benefits, certainly some pain points in the in the beginning, but you're right. I mean, we were one of the fortunate few during the, the pandemic that didn't really have to take those first few months to just try to adjust to the reality of you know, being isolated. So we were, we were very fortunate.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty serendipitous. One of the, the topics that I wanted to, to get your perspective on is, is kind of more of a, a macro one. But one of the things that, that I've been thinking through a lot is this idea of the itemization of the firm. So there, there was this economist, Robert Coase, back in the 30s, whose, whose like main idea was that the firm, the, the modern day company, exists because it's cheaper and easier to like, consolidate all of the necessary functions within a company than it is to find and coordinate people or, or service providers externally to do those functions on the market. And when he came up with this in, in the 30s, it was you know before the internet and these digital platforms, which have since... You know, greatly reduce the the cost to coordinate, and that you know it manifests in remote work and all these things that just weren't even possible before. So, thinking about some kind of modern interpretation of the theory of the firm, it's now easier than ever and makes more sense than ever to really kind of outsource everything that historically had been in house, and instead focus on your core competency as a company. And so, to the extreme, that's like really outsourcing as much as you possibly can. And I think that's kind of where it's cool to think about Air CFO with a very clearly defined core competency that others are explicitly outsourcing to you. So sorry for like the very long-winded premise there, but I would I'd love to get your perspective on on that kind of idea and, and where you see that going.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the idea that we exist upon, right? I mean, this is this is the very nature of why we exist. And why we've helped over 200 startups at this point. It's something 10 years ago, or not even 10 years ago, I mean, five, six, seven years ago when I first got started, that was, there was a little bit of friction there already, right? I mean, we used to have conversations like, so, so what do you mean you don't come to the office to <laughs> right. you know, shuffle papers and sign checks? When I first got started in Cleveland, uh, I remember uh, there was a it was a, it was a, even a software company like a venture backed software company that was like, well, okay, we'll work with you, but you have to come to the office two days a week, <laughs> and uh, you know, and 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 that was just a little bit of a transition to almost like the tree, It was it was me by myself when I first started with them. It was almost like I was a part time employee, you know, on site, and I mean, you know, I, there's just been just a lot of movement in the last 10 years. You know, I think when I got started, I think, you know, and I, I, I've not looked into this deeply, but I feel like, you know, the idea of outsourcing some of your development work, you know, overseas was was catching on, you know, instead of, especially in San Francisco, where, where it's super expensive cost of labor, you know, de, you know outsourcing some of the dev work w- was kind of common. And I feel like in the last, you know, five to 10 years, the idea of outsourcing some of the other functions could be HR, could be recruiting, could be, you know, finance and accounting as a service has really started to catch on. And obviously I have a, a, I'm biased and I have a vested interest in this, but I don't see it going backwards. (laughs) You know, I only see this, you know, going further and further and, I remember when I started, I, I always thought, well, there's always going to be this point in time where eventually, you know, in a, in a startup's life cycle, you know, they have to fire us and hire a full-time team. Right. And I mean, you know, it's 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 true to some extent, but at the same time, you know, we're holding on longer and longer and longer with these companies as they get bigger and bigger and bigger. They're just a lot more comfortable with this idea of, kind of fractional, expandable work as they need it on kind of on their needs, um, on their on their schedule.
0: What's coming to mind is I'm thinking about it from this perspective of software as a service specifically where you have like all these APIs that you can just like toggle on and toggle down as like yeah. your scale and requirements change over time. And it's, it's this very seamless experience. With that, I guess there's kind of two questions I have. One is, You know, you've talked about differentiation and competition from the perspective of maybe other service providers, but do you feel that there's a competition that you might face from technology itself in this space? And then how you kind of grow with the companies that you're working with?
1: You know, for the first question, just as far as competition amongst, you know, software providers, yeah, I think it would be naive of us to sit here as accountants and finance professionals thinking that software isn't going to just continue to kind of eat into the, to the, to the billable hours that we might provide today. Right. Um, it, it, it's already happening, right? I think people got a little excited with artificial intelligence and, and invested in some companies in our space that have, you know, already since gone away that, you know, we're not there yet. Right. You know, the fields feel like the, the idea a couple, even a couple of years ago was, oh, we're, you know, we're building a company to not just be your bookkeeper, but they'll replace any need that you have for an accountant or a bookkeeper. And we're not there yet, but, you know, we take a position that we think that over time that will continue to eat into our work. And I feel like my job as a CEO is to just constantly keep pushing our team up into an advisor role. And you know, just mm. cu- cutting out that rote, mechanical kind of data entry, you know, plugging and chugging, you know, bean counter, is some of the like phrases you hear about accountants and whatnot. You know, I feel like my job is just continue to push us up into more of an advisory role, because at the end of the day, I remember I was talking with the founder in our space that started one of these software companies,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, he had something that was kind of insightful, and he was like, at the end of the day. You know, I think the accountants, the human element of what we do is always going to be, you know, there's always going to be demand for it. There's always going to be need for it. Because at the end of the day, someone's got to be accountable for all this. Yeah, and, literally. You know, yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> and, you know, first-time founders, early stage CEOs, they want the peace of mind knowing that there's somebody else, part of their team that is accountable and responsible at the end of the day. that. The you know the software isn't just going haywire and, and pumping out revenue numbers that are not accurate rec- reflections of what's going on in the company. So I do think that we still have a long ways to go from software, and we you know we we invite it because I think there's just a there's always going to be a space for us in more of an advisory type role, if not as much as like the commoditized bookkeeping and data processing that it exists today.
0: Right, right. That that component of it is is kind of the race to the bottom. Yeah, I totally agree. What was the second question you had? I, I can't. Yeah, sorry. yeah, no problem. The, <laughs> the The second question was about how you grow with your clients. You know, you, you mentioned in some ways the goal might ultimately be, you know, to have your customers be successful enough that they maybe outgrow the need for air CFO. So, how you think about that transition?
1: It used to be part of my my sales pitch, which was like, "Hey, if you do your job and we do our job, you're going to have to fire us one day because
0: right, right. because you're going to get
1: so big that it's just only going to make sense to to bring this in house." What's happened over the last you know seven years and two hundred plus clients is it's almost like a like a bell shaped you know curve where in the beginning there's just not a lot to do right for a pre revenue one or two person startup just some basic compliance and basic reporting keep you know keep us out of trouble when it comes to the IRS right. and our investors and then as as you find product market fit and you're working from like a seed stage up to a series A that's when our role becomes you know often the biggest you know we're we're, we're playing that that role of a fractional CFO helping helping a company you know figure out things like planning for their next fundraise or Helping them set up a, you know, infrastructure to measure things like customer acquisition costs and lifetime value, and there's there's a lot. And then, you know, I would say our peak in relationship is probably right around the Series A. You know, at that point, we're covering everything from when I think of like a finance department. You know, at the top, you might have you know, your CFO. And then under that, you might have your accounting controller and your accountants. And then um, all the way further down, you have your bookkeepers and your, your kind of clerks. And some, somewhere around the series A is when we're really, you know, we're, we're kind of doing the, the, the full stack of everything. Mm-hmm. And then past the series A into the series B, it depends on the company, of course. But a lot of times what we're seeing is they'll go and hire a CFO, a full-time CFO. Yep. And usually they start at the top. Not always, but usually they'll start at the top. And what happens then is, um, you know, the first first few times I first few times that happened to us, I was like, "Oh, darn it! You know, we're gonna lose the client." (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Bitter, bittersweet. You know, good good for them, bad for us. But what we've found is, you know, the CFOs, especially the experienced ones, the last thing they want to do is just completely build the finance department from ground up if things are working. Mm -hmm. So. A lot of times they'll they'll keep us on, and you know maybe in the in the in the first year we 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 obviously lose some of those strategic finance role, but maybe they still want us to stick around to do as almost like a if you're familiar with finance like an FP&A person, like financial planning and analysis, like an in, almost like an analyst under the CFO and then they still want our accounting services and maybe even our tax services. So what we see over time is that it's uh, it's much more of like a gradual decline from like a full yeah. stack down to the point where you know we had a couple of companies that were over 200 employees where we were still involved doing just basic bookkeeping at that point. You know, we we've built yeah. up so much kind of institutional knowledge about how things operate at that company. Cause a lot of times we've been working with them for, you know, at this point, three, four or five years. I mean, our very first client that we ever had is still a client today. So, um, you know, we can work, we can work with clients for over five years.
0: Yeah. I guess having the experience of working with so many startups and, and seeing them grow over time, what do you see as kind of the biggest mistakes, early stage startups are making like the biggest financial mistakes, just mistakes across the board.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I probably a lot of the same mistakes you read about. <laughs> I don't think there's anything too unique about the companies we've worked with. You know, that said, I, I think maybe a couple of specific examples. I've seen a lot of first-time founders and co-founders come right out of the gate at a pre-seed stage, you know, just call it an ideation stage. And I imagine in my mind, they're like sitting around the table drinking, having a few beers. And it's like, we're going to start a company. All right. Like there's three of us, like you get a third, you get a third, you get a third. And then, and then like, you know, they wake up the next morning and like, what? you know, somebody's, somebody's quitting their job to go at it full, you know, full time. And the other, other two are kind of like, well, you know, let's think about this. I'm going to, I'm going to do it part-time. Right. And all of a sudden, you know, I've seen that where you kind of get locked into this, one third, one third, one third split. And I'm just using the example of three. Right, right. This, this even split where in reality, you know, one person might be shouldering a lot of the, a lot of the effort in their early years. And I've just seen that grow to, to, to be resentful. I've, I've seen it go all the way to legal, get legal involved. And I think there's other ways to go about doing that where, you know, Maybe you, you have a goal of getting it to one third, one third, one third, but you know, you, you create some kind of vesting schedule for the first two years. And that way if one person really does go go at it full bore, then he or she will get rewarded more than, right. than others. So I've seen that at the pre-seed, at the seed stage, starting to attract capital. Maybe you get your first, you know, hundred thousand or half a million or a million. And one of the things we've seen is, you know, people are are so eager to start spending that money and they just don't have the, you know, they just don't have the infrastructure in place to capture like customer acquisition costs and properly attribute, you know, where they're getting their customers from um, mm-hmm. compared to where they're spending their their money. I've seen a lot of companies waste a lot of money on advertising in their early days because they don't have like a proper tracking attribution system set up. And then last, I mean the series A size company you know we're talking about a 20 25 30 person company a lot of times just hiring and this is specific to my space but just hiring one person one full-time employee as your finance department and expecting that person to cover everything (laughs) from certainly i have a, a, a bias here but having that one person cover everything from bookkeeping to payroll to invoicing and collections to being your fractional cfo so I've seen a lot of people get burnt out doing that. And you know, a lot of times what happens is a company has the budget to hire kind of a very junior person, and then they're selling themselves short on more of like the, the strategic stuff or the stuff mm-hmm. that you would be yeah, yeah. like the experienced person for, or vice versa. You're paying somebody that is experienced that can do it all, but you're paying them you know $150,000 a year to... You know, pay bills and run payroll, and in reality, is you can get somebody doing it at a lot less cost. And quite frankly, those those people, they've at that point in their career, they very rarely want to be kind of the, uh, the, the the person doing you know working in QuickBooks every day, for example.
0: Right, right. I, I want to turn our lens a bit towards the the future and get your perspective on on where you kind of want to take Air CFO. One of the things that I, I think is really cool about that I kind of admire about bootstrap businesses and especially one that you've been able to build to the size and stage that, that you have is that you're really like the captain of your own ship at this point. You control the trim tabs, like you you really you're not beholden to the to the VCs that and, and the SAS valuations and all these other things that other companies, the startups, your customers have to think about when they're when they're growing and, and you really you're captaining the, the ship. And so where are you trying to take it um, as you're you know, your 200 customers or so right now? Is it kind of a, a linear trajectory as you bring on more customers, you have to bring on more employees and just kind of higher level strategically? Where where are you thinking about CFO in the future? Yeah, you're
1: exactly right. I mean, that's definitely one of the biggest benefits of a bootstrap company is, is the control, right? Yeah. I don't have a board of directors that could get frustrated with me and decide to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But... You know, that said, I definitely report to my team and my employees, and there's no way that we're going to attract and retain the talent that we need to attract and retain to keep growing if if we don't have, you know, if, if they don't have kind of a you know, a sense of, of where this is going. So I, I do think about right. it a lot and, and we we do talk about it a lot. I mean, you know, listen, I think from like a from a from a size standpoint, you know, we're we're roughly 25 employees now. And like I said, you know, like you said, about 125, 140 clients, I think on a regular basis, monthly basis. I don't see, you know, we're growing 50 to 75% year over year. It's not slowing down. We have clients on a on a waiting list right now. So, you know, short term, next few years, envision getting to hundreds of clients. We have an incredible leadership team, and they're all kind of in it for the long term to keep to keep building this. I think what we'll what we'll focus on most is there's two parts to it. You know, there's two parts to our vision, the services and the client side, and then the, you know, the creating a premier workplace for air so my focus is 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 very much on creating a premier workplace and creating kind of the the future for you know accounting finance tax professionals you know creating the future of, of a workplace for them and i've heard a few of our employees use you know use terms like you know use phrases like they almost feel like they're working for themselves when they work for us i mean there's a incredible amount of autonomy that we give our employees and they kind of like control their own kind of book of business. And I think people really like that. So we're going to lean into that more. We're really going to try to lean into this idea that we're creating an alternative career path for you know some of the best and brightest that are currently working in you know the best management consulting firms or the best big you know public accounting firms. Create an alternative career path for them. And the other question might be like, what's your exit strategy? We don't know yet. We don't yeah. know. And and we're not trying to put too much emphasis on, on that, you know, is it 10 million in revenue or 20 million in revenue? It's just not a huge point of emphasis for, for what we're doing, but um, we're committed to growing it. We're committed to just continuing to attract and work with a bunch of awesome, awesome founders and entrepreneurs. And then in, in the, on the other side of that, just create a, a workplace of, engaged, passionate, motivated finance professionals that want to want to help startups.
0: What resonates a lot with me about that is I think a lot of companies startups, you know, hold culture as as something that's very important to them, but I think what's really cool about about what you're doing is that if the people at the end of the day are kind of what you're differentiating your product on, yep. right as a services provider, then focusing on culture as one of like the core tenets of, of what you're doing is how you have to get the best people. it just, it just makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought about it from that perspective.
1: Yeah. I mean, the experience of the clients is only as good as the people delivering the work, delivering the service. So right. it's not like I came up with this idea, but you know, it's like, take care of your people first and they'll take care of your clients. That's <laughs> right. It's, tr- it's true. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't jump into a client's payroll system or QuickBooks and answer their questions anymore. I mean, it's, it's out of my hands, it's in the hands of our employees. So, you know, our goal is, is, you know, and we have, we have plenty of work to do. Our goal is to really just kind of lean into this concept of just continuing to take care of our employees and just create a workplace that that's where they want to be. That's where they, that's why they're, you know, that they're, they're passionate to come to work every day. I mean, it's, it sounds super generic, but it's, it's very, very true in our space.
0: Yeah. I'm just curious how how many people at this point are Cleveland-based versus remote. It's dwindling.
1: It's dwindling, <laughs> literally dwindling. Um, I think it's probably out of twenty-five, it's down to it's 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 five or less. Mm. Yeah, we uh, we used to have about ten in Cleveland, and when I say dwindling, I don't mean necessarily they're leaving the company. Uh, somebody just left for Austin, Texas three months ago. Our VFA fellow is is looking to relocate to Denver. So they're with the company still, but people are kind of exploring outside of Northeast Ohio.
0: As a Midwesterner, I mean, does it factor at all into your thinking like having a company here in, in Cleveland? And obviously, you know, we've spoken about the plethora of benefits that come from remote culture and all that, but yeah. I'm just curious your perspective on, you know, building a company here in Cleveland and but having it really be a remote company and how, how you reconcile those things or, or think about that.
1: We'll always have our roots here. We always kind of look for those, you know, Midwestern sensibilities for the, <laughs> for, the for the employees that we hire, even if they're spread out from Texas to Canada at this point and over to New York. But I think at this point it's safe to say that we're a fully remote company. I will say that in the beginning, we did try to run kind of this hybrid, you know, we had the, we had the, the, we had an office in downtown, like we had the the downtown team and then we had the remote team. And at least for us that that wasn't working kind of that dichotomy or or that, um, like two different, like building two different cultures was yeah, yeah. just not, not healthy for, for us. We were way too small and I know some bigger companies can pull that off, but we just didn't have the resources to try to do that. so yeah we, we operate fully remote. We do have a kind of a lease and an incredible co-working space called Limelight in Ohio City where you know we essentially set the expectation with the, the people that are still in Cleveland, which is like hey you know if you, if you want to get out of your house, you don't have to work from your home you can go to the co-working space and there's like a small small group I think on average we probably have yeah, one yeah. or two one or two people out there. Yeah, I, I would say at this point we're we're fully remote, but we'll always have our ties to Cleveland, and I'm, I'm a Clevelander. I'm not going anywhere.
0: Yeah, well, well, tying it tying it back to Cleveland, one of the things that we kind of ask everyone uh, on the show at this point, but painting a, a collective collage of not necessarily people's favorite things in Cleveland, but hidden gems, things that other people may not necessarily know about. With that, what are some of those for you? Yeah, I uh
1: I appreciate the question and I, I hope no one else has said this yet. And I, I think you might you might you might find it funny. It is uh it's Venture for America, the, the VFA community.
0: Oh wow. And yeah,
1: you know, when I, I got started in twenty fourteen, I met my first fellow, I think it was twenty fifteen. He was working at one of our startups, one of our startup clients, and just had no idea what it was about or anything like that. Yeah. But when we made our first, so you know, after we got to about four or five employees, we were essentially just all consultants. And we made our first hire in customer success. And that was our, our first interaction with VFA. I think that was probably back in 2017. Yeah. And since then we've hired um, you know, that her name was Casey. She was fantastic. She's out in Portland, Oregon now. Um, and then we hired Dan to to help lead you up. Know, Growth and biz dev, but you know the the community. Aside from just hiring a couple fellows, we've been involved with BFA, the accelerator, which is here in Cleveland. If anyone wants to, you know, look at the accelerator and some of the companies that have come out of that, they've they've put out some incredible companies through the accelerator. Um, obviously, you're a you're a former fellow yourself, so you're <laughs> yeah. you're you're very familiar. But just an incredible network of young people that. I wouldn't have otherwise been able to attract to Cleveland if there wasn't some mechanism like Venture for America that was essentially deliberately bringing (laughs) kind of passionate, entrepreneurial spirited, extremely competent and intelligent young people to come to our city and just participate in the journey that is my startup. So. Hidden gem because I I still think a lot of companies don't know about it. But at the same time, I think if you look at some of the awesome companies that we have um, that have come out of Cleveland recently, you know, Tech Elevator is one example. They've hired a few fellows, I believe. And just if you look at the if you look at some of the the successful companies that have come out of Cleveland in maybe the last five six years, you wouldn't be surprised if the common thread is they had a few uh, Venture for America fellows join their, their team. So we're super excited. We're hoping to hopefully add another uh, fellow here potentially this year.
0: All right on. Well, I appreciate the, the kind words and, and the plug there. It's true. It's very true. Well, awesome. Justin, I, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your your story today. I think there's a lot of really cool and, and different insights from this conversation than, than from some others. So I really appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me on. If people have any questions or things that they they want to follow up with you about, uh, where is the best place for them to reach you?
1: Probably LinkedIn or just go to RCFO.com. You'll, you'll, you'll find my mug somewhere on there with my email address. So yeah, I'm the interwebs. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, <laughs> not, not big on Twitter or anything else. So just linked. I am very responsive on LinkedIn. You'll, you'll find me there.
0: That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, so shoot us an email at layoftheland at upside.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland, at thetagan, or at sternhefe J-E-F-E. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please email us or find us on Twitter and let us know. And if you love our show, please leave a review on iTunes. That goes a long way in helping us spread the word and continue to help bring high-quality guests to the show. Taken Horden and Jeffrey Stern developed the Lay of the Land podcast in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interests in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Founders Get Funds and its affiliates, or actual and its affiliates, or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.